Hey, welcome to the Project Church podcast. My name is Caleb Cole. I'm the lead pastor here at Project Church in downtown Sacramento. And we're so glad that you came to hear this word. We believe this is going to encourage you, build you up, and give you life. So get ready to receive a message from God. I am continuing our Love Lockdown series. We are in week two. And so today I want to talk to you about sanctification and sex on lock. So if sex in church makes you uncomfortable, um, just prepare yourself for the next 30 or so minutes because I'm going to talk about it and say it. And I'm excited to have the youth in the front two rows here, front three rows. No, for real, I told the team, like, no, no, this is a good message for them, too. Uh, I would encourage every junior high, high schooler to be in here for this message. And so I actually thought, man, Chrissy gave me a Valentine's Day gift. Some of you maybe that follow me on social media saw it. And when she gave it to me, I said, I know I'm wearing that on week two for the sanctification and sex message. So I just want to show it off, church. Come on, somebody. So, Team Chrissy, once and for all, always and forever, till death do us part. Um, yeah, I just thought it'd be fun to wear it today, so I did. So here we go, let's jump in. If you have your Bibles, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Today is going to be a message looking forward. Do you hear me? Today is future focused. This is not going to be a message condemning you for your past mistakes, your past sin. In fact, we know scripturally that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So I'm going to bring you a message today about purity. I'm going to talk to you about what God's best is for you when it comes to sex. But this is about us looking to the future. I want you to start preparing yourself for the next days and steps and years of God's best for your life. So the things in the past, we leave them there. We learn from them. But God's grace is sufficient, okay? It's on them. No matter how bad, messed up we've been, God's got a greater future for us, future for us. And so I want to start by actually taking you back to the 80s. I'm a child of the 80s. And uh, I remember uh, back in the early 80s, actually, this, uh, this iconic moment took place. So Barbara Bush, who was the first lady of the United States, married to the president at the time, um, she was at a school program, a school assembly, where they were doing an anti-drug awareness uh, talk. And she actually, on a mic, was asked by a schoolgirl. The little girl said, what do I do if someone offers me drugs? And Barbara Bush's response is iconic and has lived on. It is something that we still have said. She responded. She said, just say no. The 830 service knew it. How did you guys not know it? Just say no. Now, here's what's interesting. Uh, sociologists have studied this. And they've studied this phrasing and, and this uh, response in our minds. What they found was that this phrasing of just say no actually had the opposite effect. 
Because what we realize now is that when you hear, we'll just say no, it, it piques in our interest or it piques our interest to the idea of, well, what will I experience? Maybe this is good. Maybe these adults are trying to hold me back from something that I would actually enjoy. So let me fast forward, you know, a few years later to what I grew up in the church. I'm a church kid, which was purity culture. And in purity culture, we were told to abstain from sex until marriage. And we were told just because, just say no. Just say no to sex. Wear your promise ring. And so that's what I grew up on. But again, it elicits the same response, doesn't it, mentally? Well, maybe I'm missing out on something. These adults are just trying to hold me back. And so today, I want to share biblically why... We are called to a life of purity. And so the focus today is going to be about locking up your sexual purity. So I got four L's to lock up your sexual purity. We're not taking any L's in this house today, church. But I got four L's for you to lock up your sexual purity. Now, the sexual revolution was launched in the 1960s, and from then to really now, it is the predominant religion of our day. Like, we are in a sexual revolution culture. And we see throughout um, our culture the effects of this sexual revolution that took place. In fact, more and more studies have uh, been done on it. And I just want to say to you today, like, I'm not a politician. I'm a pastor. And so today, I, I am not going to baby you as Christians. Because what I've found is when you baby Christians, you get baby Christians. And so I, I think that Jesus loved people enough to tell them the truth. And so I want to just share some truths with you. I want to share from God's word. I also want to share some just practical things that even secular sociologists will tell us from what sec the sexual revolution has produced and that we are feeling the effects of today. So it began in the 1960s, and here's what's happened since then. Sociologists report happiness levels in Americans have been in a steady decline since the 1960s. A complete collapse. We are more depressed, anxiety-filled, medicated than ever in human history. Gen Z right now, give it up for Gen Z in the front rows. Come on, come on. Gen Z in the front few rows. Gen Z right now is the most angry, lonely, depressed generation on record. This is according to studies on record. Divorce rates have doubled since the 1960s, resulting in an epidemic of fatherlessness. Right now, around 40% of homes do not have a father present. And we know that fatherlessness statistically is the number one contributor of pregnancy, sorry, unwed pregnancy, poverty, future fatherlessness, homelessness, and crime. So what I would say to you is you want to change the world, be a father. You want to change the world, be a man of God, rising up and leading like the father you were meant to be. Right now, 80 to 90% of teenagers will be exposed to pornography use with the average age of exposure, first exposure, being 11 years old. This is the average age of first exposure, 11 years old. And so my 12-year-old, he's over here. And he still resents me because I, I haven't given him a phone yet. And I just say, sorry, not sorry to him on the regular. Because I'm trying to protect him. Because how many of you know that we're 
Many of you were exposed to pornography at a young age and it's had a hold of you ever since because in your brain formative years, you, you developed an addiction that now still haunts you to this day. And so I'm trying to protect. So I told him, and he keeps asking me, when am I going to fall? I said, when you start driving, my son, in whom I'm well pleased, God bless you. I will let you resent me until you move out of my house and then you can do whatever you want. Love you, bro. Why would I do this? Because I'm not here to be his friend. I'm here to be his father and to protect him the best I can. Someday we'll be friends though. Someday when you grow up. Here's what it says. A recent study of 16 to 18 year olds. We got a bunch of them right here found that nearly every individual had learned about sex by watching pornography. One in three underage teenagers noted to having seen non-consensual nudity of other minors. We're talking about child pornography. This means one of three under the age of 18 have seen this. And then sexual abuse is at its highest rate in our nation's history. One in four women will be sexually abused by the age of 18. So can I just tell you the sexual revolution has produced nothing but death, destruction, and devastation. What we call progress is not progressing us. It's actually reverting us to a deeper state of destruction than we've ever had. And so what I want to do today, and I, you guys are like, Caleb, this got serious really quick. Can you show us the shirt again? Here it is. Just want to keep it light in this place. <laughs> Today, I want to help us in our sanctification process. That's what I said. Sanctification is sex unlocks. What is sanctification? It is the process of being made holy. What God is looking for is a holy people. He wants your sanctification to progress, for you to grow more in holiness, to become more like him. And that involves your sexual purity in a huge way. And so in this relationship series, how could I not touch on this topic? We don't talk about it in the church because it makes us uncomfortable because we might giggle. And if you giggle today, I'm fine with that, okay? Giggle away. But I hope the truth penetrates your hearts. Four L's to lock up your sexual purity. Let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I'm reading starting in verse 14. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. They had all kinds of sexual immorality uh, going on in this church, just like we do in our church. Uh, the church of 2,000 years ago was no different than the church of today, except they wore sandals and robes. Uh, but they struggled with much of the same that we struggle with, and they did not even have the accessibility to the sexual images that we have today. You guys are under attack. Do you hear me? Like, you're under attack. It's why we got to talk about it. We got to challenge each other with it. We got to hold each other accountable to it. Verse 14, God's got something greater for us. Here we go. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? You hear me? Your bodies, your body, your physical body is a member of Christ. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. 
but he who is joined to Lord becomes one spirit with him. Here we go. Flee, everybody say flee, from sexual immorality. Oh, you are passionate about it. I like it. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You see, how we live, what we do with our bodies matters to God. He cares about it because he cares about you. God does not just want you holy so he can say you're holy. He wants you holy because he knows it's the best life for you to live. God's not just wanting us holy to hold us back. He's wanting us holy because he knows the fruitfulness and the blessing that comes with the holy life. The things that God has in scripture are to give you the best life, not to hold you back from all the things you could experience in this life. And so I want to share with you four L's to lock up your sexual purity. Number one, you got to leave the lie. Look at your neighbor. Tell him it's a lie. It's a lie. Verse 14. Or verse 15. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make the members of a prostitute never? Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who joins, is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Here's the lie. The lie is that we can't control ourselves. The lie is that you're an animal that has urges and you just got to give in to the urge. The lie is that, well, it's just how I'm made. I'm designed that way. And so I, I, I can't control it. In fact, by suppressing it, I'm repressing the true me. And you know what happens when you suppress and repress. So I need to just be free. But throughout scripture, we see that we are actually slaves to sin and freedom is found when you learn to remove the sin from your life. Freedom, see, we think freedom is just engaging whatever feels good. Engaging whatever sin comes along because, because I'm free to do it. And, and it's a free culture and this free sexual revolution. But no, scripture tells us that you're in bondage to your flesh. You can't help but do what your body wants you to do. But true freedom is that when you learn to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. That's what true freedom looks like. So we got to leave the lie that we can't help ourselves. We got to leave the lie that it's just how I was made. Some of you need to lie today that you're going to be in this sin forever. Because there are many in this room that have been dealing with pornography for years, maybe even decades, and the lie now has set in that I'll never have victory. I'm here to tell you there is victory on the other side of what God has for you, but there may need to be some extreme changes you make in your life. I want to share what I believe is a lie that we have embraced and so can we start with the images in the back? Can we start with the images, not the, yeah, yeah. So I want to talk to you about cohabitation. Is that all right? 
I'm going to talk to you about cohabitation because this is the norm. In fact, in our church, I think that is, it is more of the norm. And again, I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to make you think and, and actually challenge you to maybe you go home today and you have some conversations. No, put it back up. Did the screen just go out? Don't tell me the screen just went out. Come on now, Chase, hustle. Sam and Chase, give it up for Sam and Chase. They're going to run and fix the screen right now. Look at that man. He even loves Project Church. That's our youth pastor. Glory be to God. Somebody pray right now. We need, a, we need some hands. The enemy doesn't want you to see this. The second I say it, let me show you a stat. It goes out. This has been happening all morning, by the way. We have some demons in this place we need to cast out in Jesus' name. If you're a believer, start praying. All right, major reasons for cohabitation. So, cohabitation. Why do we cohabitate? This is a recent study done by Barna, 2016, so not that recent, but recent enough. Um, so, cheap rent. Let's be real. In California, this is probably higher uh, why we do it, but this is nationwide. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so, in California, it's more like, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, but the predominant reason is because we want to test our compatibility. So, we cohabitate because we got to figure out like does this work do we fit together are we compatible 84 percent of people say this is the reason why now i want you to see statistically next next image i want you to see why we think it's a good idea according to age and ideology so elders 36 percent boomers 63 percent so look at the jump in just a few years this is when the sexual revolution took place um, these are who think it's a good idea to cohabitate. Gen Xers, 69%, and millennials, which are many of us in here, probably the predominant number in this room, 72%. And then when it comes to your political ideology, don't shoot the messenger, this is just what it says. So, why am I telling you this? Because, because it's become the norm. And so, here's basically what the stats, give me that, 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 uh, yeah, that, that slide, thank you. 65% strongly or somewhat agree that it is a good idea to live with one significant other before getting married. This is everyone, on average. 35% either strongly or somewhat disagree, and then 72% of millennials believe cohabitation is a good idea. Now listen, it's happening. It's in this church. Um, again, I'm not here to condemn you, but here's what I just want to propose to you. Statistically speaking, a recent study by a non-Christian sociologist found that that cohabitating increased your chance of divorce by 50%. And so many people are saying, well, we're, we're practicing for marriage, right? We want to see if we're compatible. And I would say to you or propose to you that you're actually practicing for divorce statistically. The data actually shows, Wall Street Journal released this study recently, that religious people who marry young without having lived together have the lowest likelihood of divorce in America. So I'm telling you there's a different way and I believe a better way. Because the reality is, if you're cohabitating, you're most likely having sex. Like there might, it might be a miracle that a couple of you are like, oh, we're just doing it for rental reasons and financial reasons and we never do. And if you are having sex outside of marriage, you are breaking the covenant that God intended for you and you're breaking what is God's commands for your life. And so I'm just telling you, you're living outside of the best. Now, I'm presenting this to you to say, maybe you need to go home and have some conversations because right now you're, a couple of you are, are really uncomfortable, I'm sorry. 
But I want you to leave the lie that this is the best, that this is the norm. Now, it is the norm in today's culture, but statistically, we know it's not the best. In fact, it increases your chances for divorce. And so I wanted to just break off some lies in this place because I think we have to look different than the world. The church must look different. I believe God has a better way. And so some of you need to go home and some of you men need to man up and just marry her already. Just propose because she's been waiting. And some of you ladies need to say, no, you ain't getting nothing until you put a ring on it, okay? Like all that mess is over. And some of you men need to become men of God and say, I'm ready. I'm going to do this. We don't need a year and a half engagement where then we cohabit and figure it out. Let me tell you, you're compatible. There are 8 billion people on the earth and men, you're compatible with every single one of those females. It works, okay? I'm telling you, it works. But what you got to figure out is what is God's best for you. And I'm telling you, if you don't do it God's way, I don't believe it's the best for you. We need to leave some lies in this place and lock up our sexual purity. Why am I telling you this? Because I want God's best for you. I want his best for you. And I've watched, even statistically, I've watched practically how this has played out over and over, even in our own church, and I want a better way. I want us to do it God's way. And he intended sex in the confines of marriage. The second L to lock up your sexual purity is that you would lead yourself sexually by leaving sex where it belongs in marriage. I know I just addressed it a little bit. I read the text in verse 16 and 17. Do not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her, for as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. This is a call to us that we would begin to lead ourselves sexually. No one is going to lead you but you. And I need to call us to a place that says, my urges don't lead me. My desires don't lead me. I lead me, and I want the Spirit of God to lead me. My spirit man, not my flesh man. The Word of God leads me, not this culture. How many know whatever you feed gets stronger? You feed the pornography addiction, it's going to get stronger. You starve it, it's going to get weaker. You feed the lust in your life, it's going to get stronger. You starve it, it's going to get weaker. You feed the spirit man, he's going to get stronger. You starve the flesh man, he's going to get weaker. We need to lead ourselves. And, and I meet with guys and they come to me and they're like, Caleb, can you, can you help me? I need to get victory in this area of my life. I need to get victory in my purity. And, 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 and I, I do my best and our pastors do our best and we have leaders that meet and, and hold people accountable. But ultimately, we are with you 24-7. We need to learn to lead ourselves. I'm not saying you don't have accountability. I don't, I'm not saying you don't reach out to people. But I am saying we have to lead us. No one's going to lead you but you. And so I'm calling this place to a greater place of leadership. When it comes to sex. And that we would be committed to leaving it where it belongs. Which is in marriage. Now can I talk to the married people here for a moment? Maybe you're engaged, you're about to be married. This is great and practical for you single people. Uh, this is something to look forward to. 1 Corinthians 7, 3 through 5 says, The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise, the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other except 
perhaps by mutual consent and for a time so you may devote yourselves to prayer, then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. This is talking about sex practically in marriage. You guys got it, right? Did you catch it? It's talking about sex. It's saying we are, are not our own, we don't own our own bodies when we get married. And we are called to live sacrificially, selflessly with one another. And it says to have sex. Now, husbands, let me talk to you for a moment. If you are not showing your wife you love her and create an environment of love and, 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 and connection, and then you're demanding sex, I'm telling you that's on you. You need to figure out how to better connect emotionally. You need to figure out how to better show her she's loved. Figure out her love languages. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. And, and give her what she needs. I'm telling you, it will go much better when you ask for it then. This is just practical advice. Wives, you need to also respect your husbands. We see scripturally that men desire respect. Women want to be loved. We need to respect our husbands in a way so that they feel uh, em empowered as a leader. And, and then there's, it's easier to connect this way. But this actually, scripture, I, I mean, that's practical advice and it's true. But this actually tells us to just like have sex. In marriage, regularly, it says don't withhold from one another because that's when Satan can come in and tempt you and mess you up. And I, I, I'm so saddened when I talk to couples and in marriage and, and, and they rarely have intimacy sexually. It saddens me because that's not God's best. It wasn't what he intended for you. And then we wonder why we're struggling with lust and we're looking at pornography. And, and, and yes, yeah, sometimes these things go hand in hand. But, but ultimately, we need to commit to one another to loving one another in sexual intimacy as well. And I can give you this an example from my own marriage. I've been married for 15 years. If you didn't know, there she is. Let me show her. Every time it gets too heavy, I'm just going to go like, guys. Been married for 15 years. And a couple years ago, it was probably three, four years ago, my wife started coming to me and saying, I need more from you. I need a, I need a deeper emotional connection with you. I need you to, to, to share more with me, to connect with me on a deeper level. Like, uh, I need that deeper level of emotional intimacy. And I was just like, I, I don't know how to do that. Number one. And number two, this is who I am. And I actually said, this is who you married, and I'm not changing. Which let me just call all you out who are trash like me in that moment. <laughs> if you won't change for your wife, who are you going to change for? And so it took me a few years, but I finally was like, God, I need some tools. I need some people. I started reaching out for some help because I got to learn how to connect emotionally with my wife. But watch this. While I was still not doing it, we still had regular sexual intimacy, me and my wife. And she actually told me recently, now that I've kind of turned a corner and I've learned how to share some emotions and connect emotionally, she, she told me something. She said, Caleb, there were many years when I wouldn't get the emotional connection I needed from you. And it felt like the only place I got any emotional connection with you was in sex. And so I was willing to take that if that was all I got. 
And so I, this is just for, for the wives here for a moment, that sometimes we, we withhold, and I'm not saying you, you don't have reason if your man is not treating you the way they need to, okay? So, so don't get this twisted. But I'm saying that I couldn't, I didn't know how to, and my wife was patient with me. And she took the emotional connection that we got in physical intimacy. And I just want to tell you, because this is biblical, that in, in many ways, and probably for a few years, sex saved our marriage. This is real. Like the fact that we were still connecting sexually in intimacy every single week, never had a week go by through our marriage that we didn't. I'm just telling you, every week. It kept us connected because God intended it that way. Like he created sex. Can you imagine that God created sex for us to enjoy in a covenant of marriage? And it's an incredible thing. I mean, it is the most pleasure you will ever experience. High schoolers, junior hires, y'all don't know yet, but it is the most pleasure you will ever experience, but it's so much better when it's in that covenant relationship. But not only that, God gave it to us to keep us connected. And he commanded us to make it regular so that we stay connected. And so I know some of you are like, I don't know how I feel about all this. We can talk after. But this is what leading looks like, that we would say, I'm committed to each other It's meant to be enjoyed, sex. It's meant to be regular in marriage. This is something for you single people to look forward to. It's something for you married people to stay committed to. That we would lead. And then men, get some tools to connect better emotionally with your spouses. I've been in a journey of it. Do it. The third L to lock up your sexual purity is we need to leave and flee from sexual sin. Verse 18, I read it a moment ago, says flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. What does scripture tell us? Sexual sin is different than every other sin. Do you hear me? Sexual sin is different than every other sin. Now some of you are like, so it's worse? No, not worse. But it's different. Because sexual sin has a greater negative impact on us emotionally and even physically than every other sin does. It's why when, when we have sexual experiences, when we're too young, we are often damaged for years. We have trauma for years. It's why when we have sexual uh, relationships outside of the confines of marriage, there's this brokenness that we often bring into marriage because it was meant to be in a certain way. And so my challenge to us is that we would flee from sexual immorality. Why? Because it is different than every other sin. It affects you differently than every other sin. Samson and Delilah. I think about biblically these individuals who 
sexual sin was their downfall. Samson is the judge. He's the anointed one. He has supernatural strength. And it was his sexual immorality that removed the anointing on his life and ultimately led to his downfall. Then I think of Joseph and Potiphar's wife and this woman who day after day, it says, asked him to lie with her, to lie with her. You know, cheat, cheat with me, cheat with me. And day after day, he said, no, 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 to the point where she was so desperate, she grabbed him by his cloak and he ran out of the house with the cloak still in her hand. And it led to him being in prison for years. But God ultimately elevated him. You see, here's what I think we do. We, we play around with sexual sin. We don't leave and flee from it. We put ourselves in positions where it's easier to fall into temptation. And then we wonder why we can't get victory. What does it say? It doesn't say hang around and, and hopefully you're strong enough to resist. No, it says leave and flee. Run from any opportunity for sexual morality in your life. There's some guys in this church who have told me they have flip phones because they can't have this kind of phone. You know what that is? That's leaving and fleeing. They got the Nokia with Snake. They're playing Snake all day. We're not scrolling. We're playing Snake. Come on, somebody that remembers Snake on the Nokia. They got the Razor flip phone that it takes 25 minutes to send one text message because you got to scroll through every number. A, one, 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 to B, to C. (laughs) To me, that's what Leaving and fleeing looks like. Some of you need to get some blockers on those computers. You need to get some accountability in your life. You need to call someone every time you have the temptation. Believe and flee from it. We entertain it. We play around with it. We play games with it. I've told this story before, but I know many of you maybe weren't there, so I want to share it again. This was probably seven years ago. I was on a trip, a fundraiser trip for our church. It was a bunch of pastors, and we went to this place in South Carolina. And I went to a golf course in South Carolina, and I got there, and uh, I I went with a couple of my pastor friends, and and usually they, like, put us in rooms together, or I travel with my wife. I, I never travel Um, alone, or if I do, I'm going to be staying with someone. Just again, I'm trying to leave and flee and protect myself from any sexual sin. And so I get to this hotel and they actually brought you into a private room to check you in individually. And so my friend goes to another room and I go to this room and, and, and I got brought into this room and the girl who's checking me in is young and very attractive. Okay. And so she starts talking with me as she's checking me into the hotel. And she's very flirtatious. And I'm just being nice. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm just friendly. And so I'm just, like, like being friendly back, trying not to flirt back. And, and at the end of the conversation, she says, so what are you doing tonight? And I said, well, I don't know. You know, we're, we don't have anything going on tonight. The thing starts in the morning, so I think we're just chilling tonight. And she says, well, maybe we could hang out. And I am in South Carolina, the whole other side of the country. My friend has already left his private room. I'm in my private room with this girl. And I have to be honest with you. The first thought that popped into my head was no one would ever know. That was the first thought that popped into my head. No one would ever know. But very quickly, 
a louder voice came into my head. And the louder voice said, you have a call on your life. I've made you for more than that. You're a husband. You're a man of God. You're a father. You have an anointing. Do not give that up for a temporary feeling. And so you know what I did? I said, give me my key. And I ran up out that room <laughs> as quickly as possible. I don't even think I said bye. I just said, bam, I was out. I said, what? What? <laughs> I wish I had this shirt on at the time, church. If I ever travel alone, I'm traveling in this. Why do I tell you this? Because temptation is real. It's at every corner. And this isn't even talking about the accessibility. We have the pornography at just the click of a button. And so we have to leave and flee. And also, I said earlier, which part of you are you feeding? I'm telling you right now, because I had fed my spirit man far more than my flesh man, the spirit of God was much louder than the voice of my flesh. And so while the voice of my flesh, will, and your voice, the voice of your flesh will still be there, and it'll whisper little things. But if you're connected to the Holy Spirit, if you're connected to God, the voice of the spirit will be louder, and it will drown out the voice of the temptations of your flesh. You see, it's easier to leave and flee when the spirit is louder than the voice of your flesh. You see, I had gone years from, from when I married Chrissy to now, no pornography use in my life. Let me tell you, that elevates the, the voice of the spirit over the voice of the flesh. I've stayed faithful through the years because can I tell you? Like, just to be honest, if Satan's going to get me, he's only going to get me one way. He's going to ruin my call and my purpose, ruin my family, ruin this church. He's only going to do it one way. He's either going to get me with money or with sex. And money, I don't really care that much about. It's never been a huge temptation. But the sexual temptation is real for all of us. And so Satan knows that is the way he can get me. It's the only way. And that's why I have to be faithful and vigilant and diligent in building into my life the leaving and the fleeing whenever temptation enters in to strengthening the spirit man over the flesh man in my life. So finally, I mean, I just, I just talked to you about it. But the final L is you got to listen to the Holy Spirit and walk in his power. Because I think some of you are in this place and you're like, man, I'm not strong enough, Caleb. I hope I can someday be as strong as you. Here's what's crazy. Yes, it takes some of your strength, but ultimately it takes you learning to rely on his strength. Yes, it takes some of your willpower, but ultimately it takes a person who is so uh, fixated and focused on the power of God in their life that it's the spirit of God empowering them to walk in purity. Verse 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Here's what purity does. Purity leads us to greater connection with God. It's why I want you walking more pure in 2024 than ever in your life. Because the more purity we have in our life, the easier the connection is with God. But you see, there's a reverse to this. It goes hand in hand. The more connection I have with God, the easier it is to walk in purity. 
And that's why I prioritize the house of God, the things of God, the Word of God, the worship of God, because the more connection I have here, the easier it is to resist all that down here. And so today I want to tell you, you don't have to do this in your strength. That's all I want to say to you. Because somebody like, I'm not strong enough. You're not. But the Spirit of God that dwells within you, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. We just talked about it throughout the Glory of God series that you are a house for the Spirit of God to live in. And the Spirit of God can empower you and strengthen you to walk in the purity that He has for you. So walk in His power. Walk in his power, not your power. Walk in his strength, not your strength. Why? Because I want to sanctify my temple more every day. I want my life to be a place that says, God is welcome here. This is a holy of holies. I'll never be perfect, nor will you. But Jesus actually said, be perfect. As my Father is perfect, perfection is not something we can achieve, but it is something to attain to. That His Spirit empowering us day after day, year after year. I'm telling you, I sin less now at 42 years of age than I did at 22 because I'm sanctified day after day. I'm in a process of being made holy. Am I perfect? No. But the Spirit is here to give you greater power. Some of you need to tap into Him today. Tap into him today to break off the addiction of pornography, to break off the addiction of lust, to break off that which you know is not desirable or honoring of God. That we would lock up our sexual purity in our marriage. Some of you have invited things into your marriage. Maybe other people. Things you shouldn't be watching. You need to eliminate that and walk in purity in your marriage. Some of you need the power of the Holy Spirit to unlock the emotional connection you need with your spouses. That's what I needed. It took God getting a hold of me for me to humble myself and say, I need to change. I'm willing to change. God changed me. I wanna close with this. I'm gonna take you back to the 80s again. There was a pastor named Jim Baker the most famous televangelist in the world at the time, was seeing hundreds of thousands saved, preaching to millions on television and in these evangel evangelistic crusades, making millions of dollars. And he ended up in jail after he was caught soliciting prostitutes, stealing and embezzling money. He ended up in jail for years. And here's a man of God being used and anointed and knows the word. And a young pastor named John Bevere went and met with him. He went into the prison. And he went to Jim Baker and he said to him, after Jim Baker told him his whole story, he listened to his story. He asked him a question. He said, Jim, when did you stop loving Jesus? When did you stop loving Jesus? And Jim Baker's response still is something that we need to allow to permeate our hearts. He said, John, I never stopped loving Jesus. I just lost the fear of the Lord. 
And so today in this place, I know you love Jesus. There are people in here struggling with purity, struggling with lust, struggling with pornography, struggling with trying to, to keep sex within marriage as single people. I know you love Jesus, most of you. But maybe we need a renaissance of the fear of the Lord once again that says, God, I fear you so much. I fall to my knees and, and I confess my sin and my need for a Savior, but I ask for your strength to keep me on the straight and narrow, that I would walk in purity because when you do, I'm telling you, you'll be living your best life. The best marriage, the best singleness, the best dating life, God wants more for you than many of you have been experiencing. So with heads bowed and eyes closed in this room, you say, Caleb, that's me. I need Jesus. I need to surrender my heart to Jesus. You've never given your life to Jesus, or maybe you've been running from him. You've turned your back on him. If that's you, I want you to lift your hand in this place. You need Jesus right now. For the first time, you need to rededicate your life. Go ahead, shoot it up. Hands going up in the room. Yes, I see many hands. I see it. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You can put them down. Second thing in this place, you say, Caleb, listen, I want every head bowed, every eyes closed, private moment. You're here, you say, Caleb, I've been struggling. I've been struggling with purity. I've been struggling with lust. I've been struggling with pornography. I've been struggling in my life, maybe even connecting emotionally with my spouse. But right now, I wanna walk, I wanna lock up my my purity sexually and walk in the greatness of what God has for me. If that's you, just shoot your hand up real quick. You just up, down, up, down. Yeah, all around the room, all around the room. Here's what I want us to do. You can put your hands down. I want us to stand to our feet all across this place right now. I gotta get us out of here. We're not gonna sing. I gotta get us out of here. We got another service, but I wanna pray a prayer of anointing on you. A prayer, a prayer of purity over you. So right now, I want you guys to receive this. Jesus, I pray over your church. I pray over your house. I pray purity like never before. God, there is no condemnation in this place, but there is conviction. And I sense conviction falling on the hearts and the minds and the spirits of husbands and wives, of single people, dating people, engaged people. So Lord, we pray right now for a conviction that would call us and move us to a place of change. God, we need your strength. We can't do it in our strength. We need your power. We can't do it in our power. So Lord, I pray for a revolution of purity as we fight off the sexual revolution of this day, of this culture. A revolution of purity in your house. Why? Because it's your best. It's your intention. It's what you have for us. So Jesus, right now, impart to us the strength to be who you want us to be. We pray all this in your name. Amen, amen. Come on, give God a shout of praise for what he did in this place. Here's what I wanna do. I'm gonna invite our prayer team forward. If you need prayer, you raise your hand to receive Jesus. Maybe you're walking through something, a struggle. Maybe there's a there's sexual addiction that you need prayer over. Our prayer team will be down here. Church, we love you. Wednesday night, presence night, 7 p.m. in South Sac. Love you, church. Have a great Sunday. If you need prayer, our prayer team is here. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to the Project Church Podcast. We pray and hope that this message encouraged you, built you up, and gave you life. We want to ask that you would invest right now in what God is doing here in downtown Sacramento. We've just recently moved in to our all-new building in the waterfront, Old Sacramento District. We want to ask you, if you'd like to give, you can go to projectchurch.com forward slash give to invest. Let's see all that God can do through us.